book of Daniel, Daniel um, finished with this Babylonian captivity, right? 70 years, and then Ezra would come. He would be a priest and a, and a scribe. So he would be both a priest and a scribe, and he would um, do the work of the building, rebuilding of the temple, and so that work is done, and then Nehemiah comes on the scene, and he sees that God is calling him to the work of the Lord. And I, f- I find it interesting, Nehemiah being a leader, he's one who is serving outside of the church, if you will, or ministry. He's just out there doing his job, faithful in the community. He is the king's cup bearer, which means he's not only the one that tastes the food and tastes the wine or anything that the king is going to ingest, but he also is one who is able to speak, communicate truth, and be an advisor for the king. And so he's trusted, very, very trusted by the king there in uh, Babylon, which is now taken over by the Persians. And so um, just a neat, neat little uh, opportunity to see what a leader looks like within the body of Christ, a, a regular guy, if you will. The title of the message today is On a Need to Know Bases, and we'll see how that ties in to the study. Generally speaking, information is on a need to know basis. Not everybody needs to know everything, right? And so we'll see how that ties in to the study. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray, Father, that you would speak to us through it. We thank you, Father, that you give us examples like Ezra, Nehemiah, different individuals, Daniel in the Bible to be able to see what faithfulness looks like. And so bless this time as we offer it up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So Nehemiah chapter 2. We learned last time, it would be about four months from chapters 1 and chapter 2 take place. Nehemiah gets wind that the walls are not built, they're burned and scattered, and somehow just on Nehemiah's heart, there's this, this um, burden, this, this desire that he notices is upon his heart, and so he recognizes that God is calling him to be involved. He recognizes that God is calling him to not only pray about it, but to actually do something about it. And so he's going to partner with God and now be an extension of God in the world to be able to get the work of the Lord done. And so at some time in our life, God calls us all to that. God calls us as his children to be involved in his work. You and I are the body of Christ and the head, Jesus, is directing his body what needs to be done in this world. And so we are an extension of God by doing that. And so A lot of times, uh, God will just have us to be faithful, first of all, wherever we're at. So we always say we we blossom wherever we're planted. So wherever we find ourselves, in our families and and at home, um, in our communities, at work, at school, faithfulness. God is calling us to faithfulness there. But and then, there'll be times where God will put a burden upon our heart and we can't fix every wrong, right? We can't be involved in everything that we see. All the needs, they're too great for any one of us to be able to meet all of those needs. And so how do we navigate through figuring out what God would have us to do? How do I know that God wants me to be involved in this, but maybe not involved in this other thing? And so um, 
we'll see that as Nehemiah, just as we go through this, and, and if I don't answer it at the end, go ahead and ask me, and I'll give it to you, okay? So this is Nehemiah chapter 2. In verse 1, the Bible says, And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. In the last verse in chapter 1, the last line there, we're told that for I was the king's cupbearer. Nehemiah lets us know that that's what he was doing. I find chapter 2 verse 1 very interesting because Nehemiah was faithful in his job and his job was to have a certain countenance in the presence of the king. And there's, there's some people in this world where you hear of it said, you know, wow, you wear your feelings on your sleeves. There's no denying, no doubting what you feel like because we can see it in your presence. And so if you're, if you're up, then wow, you're bringing that with you. If you're down, wow, you're bringing that with you. And so Nehemiah wasn't like that. Nehemiah knew that he had a job to do. He was respectful of the king. He was respectful of the king's presence. And he did his job faithfully for all of those years. And so, I don't know, some people feel, well, I would be lying if I lived like that. I'd be in denial. I don't know. I think there's a time to suspend how we feel and to be faithful with what God calls us to. And so in this sense, Nehemiah had never done this before. He had never had this burden so heavy on his heart that now his countenance expressed it and the king is going to see it and he's going to, hey, whoa, what's, what's going on here? Now the king is powerful, right? And a cupbearer could come into the presence of the king and if the king didn't like what he saw, he could just say, off with your head. And so that's good motivation, right? Well, I want to keep my head because I like it attached to my body. So, um, you know, I got, a, I got a certain job to do and I want to be faithful with it. But again, it speaks a lot about the character of Nehemiah as a leader that God wants to use. Verse 2 says, Therefore the king said to me, Why is your face sad since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid. The dreadfully afraid is saying because he knows the king has power to say off with your head. It gives us in verse 1 the exact date of that's take, this taking place. And we're going to see in this chapter, Nehemiah lays aside his possessions, his position, and his pride in order to become involved in the work of the Lord. And so oftentimes, there's a sacrifice that God is calling us to. The sacrifice is always well worth it if it is God that is calling us to make that sacrifice. The date is important because it establishes the date given to restore Jerusalem and its walls. Daniel 9.25 says that exactly 173,880 days from this day, which was March 14th, 445 BC, Messiah the Prince would be presented to Israel. Sir Robert Anderson, the eminent British astronomer and mathematician, makes a strong case that Jesus fulfilled this prophecy exactly to the day, entering Jerusalem on A.D. April 6, 32, precisely 173,880 days from Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1. And so this is very important that this date is given, and we're able to calculate those 173,880 days 
from there. And what he does is he takes the Greek calendar, the Grecian calendar, which was a 360-day calendar accounting for every leap year. He's able to calculate from this very day, April 6th, 32 AD, the very day that Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. And so pretty amazing that the Bible gives us that along with the prophecy of Daniel chapter 9 verses 25, 26, and 27. So just an awesome thing that's taking place there. Verse 3, and said to the king, after he says, so I became dreadfully afraid and said to the king, may the king live forever Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? Then the king said to me, what do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. The king asks and Nehemiah is able to tell him. If you were to remember, chapter 1, verse 1 gave us a date as well. Four months have went by since the time that Nehemiah got wind that the walls were in ruin, for four months, what did Nehemiah do? He got in the presence of the Lord and he prayed. He sought God. He sought God for what God would have him to do. This is a kind of a way that I navigate through knowing if God wants me to do what, what has been brought to me. And so oftentimes there's a desire for me to be used by God. And I hear of an opportunity where God is moving I hear of an opportunity for God to use me, and immediately I just want to run. I want to run in that direction, and I want to go. But you can't, right? You can't do everything that is needed in this world. You can't minister to everybody who needs to be ministered to. You can't help with every situation, right? You can't move every single friend that asks you to move because your back can only tolerate so much moving, right? You can only lift so much furniture. And so always wanting to do that, what I do is I do two, two different things. One, oftentimes somebody within the church, within the fellowship will bring me a burden. They'll say, hey, I noticed the church doesn't have this ministry. I noticed the church isn't doing this thing. I have a need and the church is not meeting my need. Or I've observed a need in the community and the church is not meeting this need in the community. And so with things like that, I take a step back And ultimately, prayerfully consider what God would have me to do with it, because I want to take it on. But what I do in those cases is is say, if the burden is on your heart, prayerfully consider how God wants to use you to meet the need that you feel strongly about. If God is putting something on your heart, then why aren't you doing something about it? And so maybe I will come alongside of you. Maybe I will support you. And I can support you in various different ways. But every, everybody's pet project, if you will, is not my responsibility. And that, that can get tough, right? Because, again, I want to be involved in everything. I want to be able to do everything. But I have the things that God has called me to as well. So that's one thing I do. The other thing I do is, if I notice, like Nehemiah here, there's a burden. There's a need that is represented. And I'm stirred inside about that situation. What I do is I begin to prayerfully consider and through time, if my emotions as it relates to that thing remain the same, I still feel intense about it or they go great, grow greater. Like there's just something stirring within me that's like, no, I like, whoa, I got, whew, okay, I've been praying, but man, just inside, I just got to do something about it. Then I know that God is calling me to get involved. 
Okay? So that's a good way for you to navigate through, is God calling you to be able to do something? When somebody brings something to you, tell them, hey, let me partner with you in prayer about that. But I don't know if God is calling me to that specifically. I'm glad you have this burden. I'm glad you have this insight. I'm glad you're noticing, but don't dump that burden on me. And then when something comes to my attention, I begin to pray. And I notice, man, I feel intense about this. There's a passion. I don't know. There's something stern within, within me. Lord, man, I'm, 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 it's not going away. Then maybe the Lord is calling me. And that's simple as talking to somebody about something that you notice. You might notice something. You're like, wow, oh, that's kind of kooky. Why are they doing that? But who am I to talk to anybody? You know, I'm, you know, that's their private life and that's their business. Okay, maybe it is. But maybe God wants to use you to speak truth into their life. If that emotion d- diminishes and you realize, ah, Lord's going to show them some other way, then leave it alone. But if there's this intensity and there's this desire that's within you, again, maybe the Lord wants to use you to speak truth in somebody's life, right? You are his mouthpiece. You are the body of Christ. You're his listening ear. You're his hands that reach out and bring and embrace and love and hug and, 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 and you're gentle and all of those things, okay? So that's kind of something that I use. Here in Nehemiah's case, four months had transpired since he got wind that the walls were in ruin, that they were burned down, that the walls that would protect the temple in the city of Jerusalem, God's city, were in, a, were in an upheaval. And that burden within him, that desire to get involved, that, that thing that was stirring within his heart, it didn't go away. What did he do in those four months? He prayed and he got a vision from the Lord. But, but who's Nehemiah? Nehemiah is just this dude that's got a regular job. He's, he's not a, he's not a, a, a minister. He's not, he doesn't have the title of a pastor or like Ezra, a scribe or a prophet. But guess what? God wanted to use him as God wants to use you. And how do you know where God wants to use you? Again, sit with the Lord. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Great, great verse, right? Seek First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added unto you. Place at your highest priority God and his kingdom and then God will take care of all of the rest and he'll give you desires within your heart to be able to get involved in things that he wants you to do. Just always keep God first. Place him at the top. Place him at the priority. Place him as the number one, the utmost in everything you do, and then God will guide you and he'll direct you. He'll open doors and close doors for you. That's how God works. As we move on, verse four says, then the king said to me, what do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. This isn't a long prayer. It isn't this drawn out prayer. He's, he's, he's in the presence of the king. He had already prayed for four months. The king says, hey, what's going on? And right before he begins to speak, he's like, all right, God, uh, with my words, give me favor. Whatever his prayer is, it's not this long, lengthy, uh, all right, king, hold on real quick. And he goes and prays for 30 minutes. He's just praying, Lord, be with me. Intercede here as I talk. Be with my words. Help me to articulate it. Verse five, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, 
How long will your journey be? And when will you return? So, I, so it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Furthermore, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river, that they must permit me to pass through till I come to Judah, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he must give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, which pertains to the temple, for the city wall, and for the house that I will occupy. And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Then I went to the governors in the region beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. Again, what did Nehemiah do in that period of time in between him having this audience with the king and the news that he got that the work of God needed to be done? He prayed. And in that time that he sought God, that he did the hard work of really spending time in the presence of God, look at all of the things that God gave him. Even as he starts his communication with the king, he says, God be with me in my speech right now. I'm about to talk to this king who has a lot of power and I want you to be here. So he prays. He tells them, he never mentions Jerusalem. Jerusalem and and Palestine at this time, uh, man, there there could be some beef there, right? There could be some, some, so he says, my fathers, the, the place of my fathers, my ancestors, it's in ruins. These are my ancestors, and I'm, I'm, I'm pinning. Wisdom in his speech. He says that he needs letters to go, that will go to governors as he goes through these different territories to make sure that, hey, look, I've got the king's approval for this. I'm backed by the king. He, he says he needs lumber, not just for one thing, not just for the wall, for the citadel, for the wall, and for the house that I'm going to have to occupy during this time. And so as he seeks the Lord in those four months, God gives him, he hasn't visited Jerusalem. He's never left Babylon. But he gets in the presence of God and God gives him all of this vision, all of these things so that he can communicate it to the one that's going to help. But and then you got these guys, Sanballat and um, Tobiah, the enemies of the work. And best believe that if you step out to do God's work, you partner with God and God has an enemy. God has an individual that does not want to see the work of God done. But God is able to use even that warfare that takes place in our lives. And oftentimes he's using it in us to refine us, to kind of show us, hey, what are you doing this for? What are you depending upon right now? Is this really for my name? Is this really for my glory? So he checks our motives in the midst of the enemy and what the enemy wants to do oftentimes. But also, where's our dependence? Are we trusting in God? Hey, wait, wait, did I hear from God right? Hey, God, you, you called me to this? Now I got all this warfare? Uh, yeah. And what does God do in the midst of that warfare? He shows us that he's trustworthy. He shows us that he's, he's gonna do the work all along. He just wants to partner with you. And have you experience the glory of God? John Corson writes, 
Anytime the spirit moves in, the enemy will rise up. You can go to the bank on that. If the spirit is stirring in your heart to do the work of God, best believe that the enemy is right around the corner to be able to thwart or discourage that work. Can we quit because of that? No. We have to recognize that God has an enemy. And if we're going to step out in faith in obedience to what God is calling us to, then it's going to come with attacks, with warfare, with name-calling the accuser of the brethren. As we open in prayer for this study, I mentioned that. Be very careful with a critical spirit. Where does that come from? Well, you don't understand. I, mean, I, got, I got such discernment that, man, I just size things up. Oh, yeah, really? Because there's good and bad in everything. We can, we can point out. It's not, it didn't take a rocket science scientists be able to point out negativity be careful as we're accusing the brothers and the sisters the children of God because that comes straight from the pit of hell and so may may we as God's kids be very careful with that verse 11 through 16 awesome little point made here so I came to Jerusalem and was there three days then I rose in the night I and a few men with me notice he says I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Nor was there any animal with me except the one on which I rode. And I went out by night through the valley gate to the serpent wall, well, and the refuse gate, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and its gates were burned with fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and uh, to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal under under me to pass. So I went up, In the night by the valley and viewed the wall, then I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the official officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the others who did the work. So Nehemiah doesn't criticize that the walls aren't done. He doesn't blame people that they haven't gotten to do what God's wanted to be done. He sizes it up. This is the first time that he's seeing it. And upon seeing it, he's, all of this stuff has been kept within him, has been kept in his heart. Redpath writes, It is good to have Christian friends, but it is dangerous to wear your heart on your sleeve. Have a secret place somewhere which nobody knows anything about but you and God. So God in your life should be stirring up incredible passions. Most of those things are for you and God. Just the wonders of what your creator wants to do. Yesterday I shared at a memorial service a young lady who passed away at 52 years old fibromyalgia, and then she had cancer. She had beat the cancer about two years ago, went into, rem- into remission, and just a neat family. I've known the daughter since she was 16. I got to be a part of their wedding, and just a, just a neat, neat, neat time. And as I'm sharing, just looking into an audience of about 100 and something people, and I'm looking, just, just people don't know God. It's just, there's just this desire to communicate. Do you guys know what you're missing? You know what you don't have. You, you have no idea how good God is. 
and what God wants to do. Every desire that you have, everything that you're longing for, everything that you're going after, everything that you think this life is going to bring meaning to you and substance, it's found in God. It's in Jesus that we find the longing of our heart, the passions that we have deep within us. And ministry is the excuse to experience so many of those things. Ministry is the excuse that God uses in our lives to have a relationship, to get close, to force us to do things that we'd be so preoccupied with life going in one direction And God's like, no, 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 I'm going to call you to the ministry. I'm going to use you as an extension of myself in this world to be used as a vessel of honor. And then what happens? Oh my gosh, well, (laughs) I don't, I don't have what it takes. Oh my gosh, what if they ask me questions? Okay, I better, I I better pray and I better study the word because people are going to ask me things and I want to give them the right answers. I don't, I don't want to give them my opinion, Right. I don't want to give them these Dr. Feelgoodisms, <laughs> these Oprah Winfreyisms. I better, I better give them God's word. And what happens in the exchange? And then God puts a group in front of you and lets you teach. And in order to teach, you got to study the love letter. And, and, and you study this much. And then you teach this much. And you're like, Oh my gosh, I got off on these rabbit trails and, and, and one thing led to another and then I was in this book and then I turned to that book and I looked up the Greek and the, I don't even know it was in Greek, but then the Hebrew and I didn't even know anything about Hebrew and you get so much. You take in so much and God's like, that was just for you. Me and you, that was just for you. I just wanted you to see a, a, a bigger piece of me. I, I just wanted you to see the things that make my heart tick. I just wanted you to, to, to get intimately acquainted with that thing or this section. And so as we continue to move forward in the things of God and those burdens that are laid upon our hearts, may we recognize that so much of our relationship is a private, personal thing. And we don't need to let everybody know every second of what God is speaking to us or ministering to us. It's just me and my creator. It's me and my Jesus. Spurgeon writes, you will often find it best not to commit your plans to others. If you want to serve God, go and do it. And then let other people find it out afterwards. You have no need to tell what you are going to do And I may add that there is no need for you retelling what you have done for very, very frequently God withdraws himself when we boast of what he he is, what is being done. And so may we be very careful to take those things in and just, it's between you and God, the things that he's doing in your heart. Notice the wisdom of Nehemiah so far. When he spoke to the king, he mentioned Judah. The the place of my father's uh, is in ruin. Never, ever does he mention Jerusalem until we get to verse 17. Verse 17, then I said to them, you see the distress that we are in and how Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. 
Then they set their hands to this good work when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they laughed at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? So I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we his servants will arise and build, but you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. No matter what the enemy is saying, if we've gotten our marching orders from God, that should be enough. And if you need it confirmed, God is so gracious and so patient that he'll confirm it over and over again. God knows what we need. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our frailty. But recognize the enemy is going to come. First, Sanballat and Tobiah are against anybody who wants to do work for Israel. But then they find out, whoa, he's really going to do this thing. He's really going to work on the walls. You're working against the king. What? He had letters from the king. The king had given him permission and made sure that he had uh, timber, right, for the work to be done. And so haterade drinkers, that's all they are, the enemies of God, the naysayers, the people that come against the work of God. But let's make sure that we're doing God's work, God's way to glorify God in the midst of what he's calling us to do and to God be the glory. And the haters are going to hate and individuals that are on the outside looking in are going to wonder, but you be faithful to what God is calling you to. Father, we thank you for Nehemiah and the example that he shows us, Lord, of one regular guy, Lord, working outside of the walls of a church, but yet faithful to answer the call. Faithful to walk in obedience to what you desired to do through this man. And so we thank you for the lessons that we can learn. We thank you, Lord, that you are a faithful God, Lord. You gave him favor in the eyes of those who he would come in contact with. And yet, Lord, at this very same time, you allowed the enemy to work and and to do what the enemy does. And you're able to do that to cause us to be dependent upon you, Lord. May we continue to trust you. May we continue to rely upon you. May we continue to cling to you and know, Lord, that you will confirm what you are calling us to do. And so thank you for the work of God and may we be busy about your business for your glory in Jesus' name, amen.